0: Well, hello everybody once again. Welcome to another King and Servant podcast. Uh, this is now show number 23. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed uh, the show that I... I was going to say last week, uh, but it's actually two weeks ago now. The show we did two weeks ago, uh, which was on eschatology. And that was with uh, our good friend D.D. Warren. And she was in studio and we did an, an expository teaching of the Olivet Discourse. And it was so dense and it was so... Rich, that uh, I'm going to have to have have her on again and she's going to conclude uh, that teaching that she has which is actually available in print up on her website I think I will provide the link uh, via kingandservant.com but um, you go over to her website preterissite.com there's a section there that is the Matthew 24 commentary Uh, so if you want to do some homework before we do that second show I would direct you to that um, but speaking of this show, I want to continue in the, uh, the mini-series that I began about a month ago, uh, entitled Outreach. And um, the first show, we covered atheism and agnosticism. And I felt that was appropriate, given the culture that we live in, and seeing the rise of what is known as the New Atheist Movement, which is actually more anti-theistic than it is atheistic. And so we covered a lot of ground there, and I hope that was of benefit uh, to you what I would like to do this evening with my good friend Brian, and Brian is here, do you want to uh, say a quick hello? Hey everybody. And we are here once more uh, to uh, to continue the series. Uh, But what I would like to do this evening is to look at uh, reaching out to the cults. Initially I thought about doing the Jehovah's Witness and then covering Mormonism and then going into uh, Seventh-day Adventism. And then into uh, all those other... Christian cults that are out there. But that's um an exhaustive <laughs> uh full orb task to undertake. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's plenty of other guys out there, even doing podcasts, who've dedicated their lives to that type of thing. And I would direct you to them and not me at that at that point for that level of detail in discussion. What I would like to do is to look at Christian cults in general find out the psychology behind it uh, as it's best from Scripture, as we derive uh, the right conclusions from Scripture, and then we see how they distort Scripture, to look at why they do that, and secondly, uh, to give some application on how we can best reach out to these people. Because I have seen a lot of teachings uh, refuting the Jehovah's Witness theology, sometimes known as the uh, Watchtower Society uh, I have seen a lot of teachings on Mormonism, refute Mormonism, and uh, Christi- uh, sorry, uh, Christian science, yes, and Seventh-day Adventism. I've, I've listened to the full plethora, if you will, the full spectrum of teachings that are out there. And they're very beneficial and uh, can be used. But what I often found was it lacked in many ways when it came to the approaching of the person who's in that cult. Yes, I've got all the facts right. I understand what they believe. Like the Jehovah's Witness believe that uh, Jesus is Michael the Archangel. I understand that Mormonism believes that uh, there is a a plurality of gods, that they're polytheistic, and that one day we can become gods and rule on our own planets. So it's kind of like these factual sheets uh, that you kind of memorize. And when you come to contact or dialogue with them, you just fire out the facts. Do you know that your society or your group believes this, this, and this? And do you know that this truth was hidden for these many years and yet your leaders knew about it this whole time and you just kind of fire out of these erroneous doctrinal facts at them or erroneous historical facts uh, whereby they have distorted something in church history? Um, And that has its place and can be used, especially in uh, public debate. But for most of you listening, you're not going to be in public debate. For most of you out there, you're going to be speaking to a work colleague. You're going to be speaking to a friend. You're going to be speaking to a family relative. And it's there where we really see uh, the two worldviews collide. And we need more than just raw facts to, to reach out to these people. Because there's a psychology behind it and there's a mindset behind Christian cults that I think um, has to be understood in order to be effective in our outreach and witness. So that's what I would like to do this evening. I want to go that direction, and I uh, just want to get the ball rolling by bringing in Brian at this point and saying, have you have you discovered this in your own experience? <coughs> um,
1: yes, I have. As a matter of fact, um, gosh, Jonathan, it, it couldn't have been three weeks ago that um, I had the knock on the door from the gentleman from the Jehovah's Witness uh, group. And, you know, the funny thing is, <coughs> is is I had heard my whole life, you know, that one day you're going to get a knock on the door from, you know, two young gentlemen in white, you know, short-sleeve button-ups and, and a tie. But here I am, 31 years old. I, I scolded them. <laughs> I told them, I said, I'm 31. Yeah it's taking you, know, you this long to get to what, me i i told him i said you guys are dropping the ball big time you know mm-hmm. no. um no i i agree with you 100% um and and only to the the point that i am extremely i well, be honest with you Jonathan I'm, i i feel i'm completely like unqualified you know yeah. when it comes to being equipped to handle um really in-depth christian christian cults and and handle that kind of conversation so my default and i would i would venture to say that majority of of your average christian out there their default is to not engage
0: is to avoid to mark them sure and then to avoid which tends
1: to be my default go-to you know
0: and i think for some people who are young in the lord should we use that phrase yeah absolutely um that can be sound advice you know i've even made that recommendation myself before given where that individual was spiritually you don't need to be the super Christian and having all these answers when you've only been saved five minutes. Yeah. You're a sheep, you know, you're a precious lamb that needs to be under the care and uh, supervision, if you will, of the pastor mm-hmm. who can look after you and teach you God's word and in due time you get equipped and you can go out there and be an effective witness. Not that somebody can't be an effective witness who has been saved for a brief time. They can be. There's countless examples of that. But in this area, I wouldn't, in the general course of things, prescribe that behavior or that approach for the new believer. Right. But for us who are, um, I guess, mature in the Lord or have lived and walked with the Lord for several years, there comes a point that really does when we just need to be clued in on these things. And it doesn't mean that we have to have exhaustive knowledge in all these cults, because that would be an impossible task. Right. cults are being born each day Right, um, and for those who are new to, to that word or you're not sure what that word means a cult Christian cult that is is a group of people that surround themselves <coughs> excuse me around a leader or a teacher mm-hmm. that breaks away from the gospel that breaks away from Christian truth but yet claims to be Christian yeah. so Christian Science would be an example of that the Jehovah's Witness would be another example of that that they claim Christianity in some form, but yet they have broken away and cultivated and come up with new doctrines that are contrary to the gospel and to biblical Christianity.
1: I've got a question for you, Jonathan, and maybe we can kind of—I'm um, going to have to perform the Heimlich here in a minute. <laughs> yeah, I know I've still got this. Cough. Ladies and gentlemen, if you hear a Heimlich <laughs> commence, don't get excited. Just—but um, no, I've got a question for you because I, you know, I—I I think. I think what the issue is when it, when it comes to um solid christianity is the fact that the majority of your your average christian is relying on their uh local church alone for education for uh learning about scripture learning how to understand scripture um and and that and there's nothing wrong with that but I think the issue is When was Jonathan? When was the last time you went to visited a church that actually did a teaching on Christian cults and how to?
0: It would be Great Oak Church in California, and I was teaching it. (laughs) Right. Well, and Pastor Gene Cook was teaching it. But that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Yeah. So we we preclude that. Um, I've
1: never. I've never. In and I've been. I've been brought up in church my whole life, and I've been on staff at at two other churches. I've never been to a service where there or whether Sunday school or main service where there was any teaching done on on Christian and cults and an informative this is what's going on this is what you know this is how to um engage this is you know I, no, no training whatsoever mm-hmm. and i'm i'm willing to bet that your average christian walking around on the street is has probably the same testimony so i think the issue is i mean and uh, this is a whole different show, but I think the issue is your average Christian is not getting information, is not getting trained,
0: not being discipled this way.
1: Absolutely, that's that's perfect. Yeah.
0: So we can we can go back to the local church, and um, me and my father did a show on the local ch- on the local church. Um, how, what show was it? Now I think it was show nineteen or twenty, but we did one on the local church and the importance of educating the people, and that it's there where the people of God should be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And this is what Ephesians uh, 4 is all about when it talks about the ascension gifts. It's so that the saints would be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Well, within that includes teachings such as this. Um, But there's a balance. And there's some people who study the the Christian cults. And I want to say this in introduction as well as a warning, if you will. There are some that study the Christian cults in a kind of a prideful way that you know the elect is just a circle drawn round me and even then i'm hopping on one leg and everybody else is heretical yeah so there are a group of people out there that um sometimes get labeled as heresy hunters they see bad doctrine from every pulpit it's only their pulpit that's truly christian so we want to avoid that extreme we want to clearly identify okay when does a group become a cult yeah because you can have a group of people that have cultic impulses but it's not a full-blown cult. Yeah. So for example, you can have leadership that's very controlling to the point of um basically trafficking in human souls. Sure. And that is cultish and it's borderline a cult. But where we have the complete recognition of this is a Christian cult is when there's a doctrinal apostasy. But yet still claiming uh, the the merits of, of Christianity or the, the name of Christianity. So we even draw a distinction there between say like Roman Catholicism. Like Roman Catholicism is not a cult. Right. It's an apostate system that's lost the gospel but they're still Trinitarian. You see. Or the Eastern Orthodox. They are apostate as a system. Doesn't mean that people within those systems could still be saved. Some of them are I believe. They're saved despite the system. Um... But the Catholic Church, one of the things that Martin Luther wanted to do was to reform the Catholic Church. It wasn't to dissolve the Catholic Church. So we we'll even make a distinction there, there are some churches and groups that are apostate because they've lost the true gospel. But some go way beyond that. Not only do they lose the true gospel, they end up denying triune theology. Jesus is no longer God and that uh, we are now saved by our own efforts and our own works. Even if it's seen as a cooperation between God's grace and our works. And I know that's largely Catholicism, but they are still Trinitarian. So that's the distinction that I would make. The, the groups that are more difficult to define is like the Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah. Because they're Trinitarian, but they've lost the gospel. Yeah. Um, they believe in something called an investigative judgment, where basically after you're saved those works you do subsequent to your salvation will be judged on the final day, and that will be weighed in the balance as far as your acceptance before God. And that's taken it farther than Rome in my position, in my understanding. So I'm just kind of fleshing those details out before I go into like the, uh, the substance of what I want to share, just so everybody's clear what I mean when I speak of a Christian cult. Sure. Because there could be some listening right now. Yeah. And there are those, like I said a few moments ago, who... Go into this discussion to feel superior. Look at what I know. Look at how, vi- how little you know. And I'm just, I'm just wanting this opportunity to refute somebody and to tell them how ridiculous their, their belief system is. And I would say, if that's your heart, then you need to go to the Lord and uh, ask for forgiveness and uh, get back on track. And do the, do the work of an, of an evangelist for the right reasons. The goal of the evangelist is not to win debates and arguments per se, but it's to persuade the listener into believing in the true Christ of Scripture. That's the goal of this outreach series. It's not just scoring points. And uh, I think that needs to be said uh, in introduction here. But getting back to, as I said, the, the mainstream of what I want to communicate on this show, when we see these Christian groups, what I find they have in common is two things. They deny the deity of Christ. Nearly all of them do. And secondly, they deny the gospel of grace, that there's work smuggled in there somewhere, whereby they have to justify themselves on their own works and their own efforts. And that's why a lot of these groups, such as the Jehovah's Witnesses, such as the Mormons, are knocking on those doors at the early hours of a Saturday morning because that is meritorious in their eyes uh, before God as far as getting acceptance before him. But when you look at the biblical gospel, we see that it's all of grace. Ephesians 2.8, we are saved by grace through faith. And that, pointing back to the faith, And the grace and the gift that is received is not of ourselves, because it is the gift of God. Uh, So we claim, as Protestant Christians, as those who have been faithful to the Scriptures, that we are saved entirely by grace. And we are saved by God's sovereign power, not our own power, not our own will. And yes, we believe that we personally believe in Christ and that we personally repent, but it's on because God gives us the grace to do so. So if you're a believer today, it's because God has shown you grace. And this is what the Protestant Reformation was about. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, but then it was Sola Gratia, grace alone. And then it was Sola Christos, Christ alone. And that gets me to my second point. After uh, you see that there's a denial of the true gospel of grace, you find behind that is a denial of, of the true christ of scripture so in my understanding as i've studied this the denial of the gospel is symptomatic of a denial of the true christ of scripture and that's what i would like to segue into now because this is basically the hub of where all these other spokes uh, come from and all these different codes seem to have this one thing in common they seem to be bent on denying the true deity of Christ. And when we speak of the deity of Christ, we are saying that Jesus Christ is God, that he is co equal with the Father, Yes, that there is one God. We are not tritheists. We are not saying that you have God the Father and then God the Son and then God the Holy Spirit and then collectively like the power rangers, you know, they make this committee that uh, ends up in tritheism, which means three gods. We're saying there's one God revealed in three persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and those three persons are eternally distinct from one another. And yes, we can't have exhaustive rational penetration on this, but we can apprehend it without fully comprehending it. And this is where the quotes fall short because, because behind the denial of the deity of Christ, there's something behind that. And what is behind that? in most examples, and I'm overgeneralizing, but in most examples is an exaltation of the mind over the revealed word of God. And behind that is ultimately uh, the sin of Romans 1 where you suppress the truth and unrighteousness and distort the creator-creature distinction. Now, those who are familiar with Romans 1 might say, well, when I look at that passage there in Romans 1, it talks about the consequences of doing this. There's all manner of evil that takes place, all manner of sinful lifestyles that are embraced and celebrated. You're saying all these cults are doing that? Not at all. But we can't limit uh, paganism to, say, sexual lifestyles. Sometimes it can be the exaltation of the mind. That can be equally as idolatrous, where it has to all first be understood within my mind before I accept it as truth if I accept it as reality. And this is what I find with the Christian codes, So the Christian codes, at the end of the day, are largely guilty of rationalism. And what I mean by that is when you look at the Scriptures, as I was just summarizing there, the doctrine of the Trinity, it quite clearly says in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. So there you have perfect triune theology. I know it doesn't speak of the spirit in that, in that particular verse, but the fact that the word which is identified in that, in that passage, the word became flesh, which is Christ, has been with God, but yet distinct from the Father, but yet having within his nature the very essence of deity. That's basically what it's saying in that opening passage. And yes, there's some grammatical things that go on there that they try to argue that, um uh the when it says was God, they say, well, that should have the translation was a God and not the God, because it's anaphorist and they go into all the grammatical arguments. But I'm going to going to submit here that I don't believe it's necessary to go that deep exegetically. Yeah, it's good to know the Greek, it's good to know that the practical normative is being used in a certain way to say that Christ in his nature was deity, and it's the only way John could have expressed the idea of Trinitarian theology because when you look at all the other possible ways he could have phrased it, it would have ended up either in modalism or polytheism, which is the idea there's only one God, Unitarian God, or that there's a whole plethora of gods. So he's avoiding both heretical views there. And I know that's, that's a nugget of theology I've just given you there, but for those who are interested in that area, I hope that caught your interest just for a few moments. But getting back to... Um, what I'm saying here and how we should best approach these people who are dying with Bibles in their hands in most examples When when you really think about that that's very tragic it's not just the garden variety atheist who wants nothing to do with Christian claims these people have Bibles in their hands and they're coming to our doors and they're making these arguments and we need to be aware of what's behind the arguments and even within that passage, it, say, it goes on to say in verse 3 that all things were created through Christ, through the Word. And Colossians 1.15 bears this out, and there's many other verses that talk about how Jesus created the entire universe, something that God alone could do. So we don't need to even go to the, the Greek, you know, in most examples to prove that Jesus is indeed divine and co-equal with the Father. Um, or John 17.3, the same gospel. When he's doing his high priestly prayer, he says to the Father, Father, now glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. Complete equality with the Father, but yet distinct in person, sharing in that glory, that same glory in the one substance of God. And you see it so clearly, and that's just using the English verses. We haven't even gone into the Greek. And you find... Or you should find rather, that the English verses suffice, and if they try to throw you off track by saying, "Well, you know, the Greek manuscript says this, the Greek manuscript says that," you need to bring them back to what the translations have said. And even if they use their corrupt translations, you can show them grammatically, just by looking at the context of Scripture, that's clearly teaching that Jesus created all things, and that He's co-equal with the Father. Because it doesn't matter how hard you try to distort the Bible, unless you're going to completely rewrite the Gospels. When you keep something in context, you're going to run into a contradiction if you purposely distorted a verse for your own presuppositional gain. And that's exactly what they do in most examples. In fact, I remember when uh, two ladies came to my door about three or four years ago, and um, there were Jehovah's Witness, and they were using their translation, the World Translation, the New World Translation, I think it's called. And uh, as they were presenting their arguments, um, I remember asking them, how do you have peace with God today? How do you know that what you believe is true? And I remember them going to the back end of, of their translation
1: Looking for the Q and A.
0: Yeah, and I remember <laughs> assisting them. I said, "Oh no, you've gone to the wrong section. You need, you need to go to this section over here. This tells you." And they were like, "Oh, yeah. thank you." I said, "Well, you're welcome." <laughs> you know? but they were going through, and you could tell there was a there was a, like a indoctrination, a programmed way of thinking that was so kind of rigid that all I had to do was throw them a curveball, and. Take them out of that box, and they were very quickly scrambling to to respond to my questions. And I was just asking them simple questions like, um, "How is it if you if you claim that Jesus isn't divine, that he's seen as co-equal in John one one or John seventeen three? How is it in in Revelation five that we have the entire creation on heaven and on earth?" worshiping the lamb that was slain and is alive forevermore doesn't the Bible say that you should only worship the Lord thy God and anything else is idolatrous but yet we have the scene from heaven this is not people on earth getting things wrong or having the wrong object of worship this is heaven and everything in heaven is occupied with the worship of Jesus Christ if that's not religious worship of the one true God, then we have nowhere possibly known what true worship looks like. If we can't go to those scriptures, so then they quickly realize or they reluctantly realize their foundation is based on something other than divine revelation. And they've exalted either the mind or personality above the scriptures. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you put something above the scriptures, that's when... It's the seedbed for Christian cult. So that's kind of the foundation uh, that I would lay for you all. Uh, but secondly, uh, in approach to this, you need to recognize as well that these are real people. That this is not just, okay, here's the argument. I know what's behind this doctrine and have you considered these passages? And even if it's done in a way, that's not just like this machine gun of facts, that it's stone kind of synthetically and organically. You still need to recognize that these people are real, as you and me. And they have families, they have kids, they have loved ones. And people listening right now might be saying, well, that's obvious, Jonathan, we recognize that. But do we always, when we're in dialogue with them? And that could have been us. It's only by the grace of God that we embrace the truth. And that we walk in light. So we need to have this compassion as well when we talk to them. And to be patient with them. And to show them the love of Christ in our willingness to listen to what they have to say. And then in turn responding to them as the scripture says in Colossians in love. The truth in love. See some people witness and it's all truth. It's state this bright light but there's no warmth. And then you've got, like, the postmodern type of witness, you know, the emerging church and all those characters.
1: All, all warmth and no light. Yeah, it's all, oh, this <laughs> is
0: so cozy and, well, you know, you know, not who really knows what right. the Bible's saying and, you know, I'm not claiming to be a know-it-all and I don't want that label that I'm arrogant saying this is what it is. I it's all warm I, and gooey. I know gooey. who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's all warm and gooey and nice, but there's no light. So we need warmth and light when we communicate with these people. And then um, kind of like saying the main point of this second part of the the presentation here is you have to recognize that things have happened in their lives that have caused them to have affection for either a, a cult or a group that's very codependent or has heavy leadership. So sometimes you need to consider the psychology that's going on. Not that you can know immediately from talking to somebody at the door, but you need to have that in the, in, in the back of your mind that people don't just get out of bed in the morning and say, you know what, I want to join a Christian cult. Now, something happens in their childhood, something happens in their in their life, normally negative, normally tragic, and it sends them into a tailspin and Christian cults just thrive in the, with those type of persons. Um, you might have heard it said before, uh, but some cults do this thing known as love bombing somebody. And that is, they just kind of saturate them with acceptance and love and, and uh, love bomb them, as the phrase goes, so that when they do present what they believe, the person immediately capitulates to it because they have been so accepted and so embrace okay I will believe that yoga if you guys are gonna be all impressive and all accepting I believe it so I often find there's very few people who join cults because they sat down with the Bible and they studied it and said you know what I've come to the conclusion that Jesus isn't God okay let's look at the yellow pages and let's try and find a church that doesn't believe Jesus is God and divine that's not what's going on what's going on is they're looking for acceptance, they're looking for um, a codependence dependence or some sort of approval from a leader and that's when these leaders who are less innocent in my understanding according to scripture, the leaders who do have the scriptures and do study the scriptures come in and they handpick these people um, I, have, I have a friend who used to be in Vietnam and uh, he was telling me one time that one of the tactics of the enemies was sometimes to pick people off one by one and they'd go for the, you know, the straggler and the, and the lame duck, so to speak, and they would get picked off. And it would be some time before people realised that the person was gone, you know, because they were so behind the line or they were so outside of the pack. Uh, so I think most of the time, and I know I can't be dogmatic on this, but in my experience, I think that's more what's going on rather than, okay, I have this doctrinal theological warfare going on within me, and I believe now this when I once believed that. Um, so I think that's that's the way to approach it, and not that you want to get into their personal business, like so. What happened in your childhood? <laughs> you know, you don't start asking things like that. But when you communicate the truths of the gospel, talk to them as if that is their background, as it probably is. There's something that's happened to them that has caused them to to gravitate towards a Christian cult. So I've talked a lot there. <laughs> but I just felt that I just felt just keep on going. Um but would you agree to this?
1: Yeah, I you know, I, I think um I I know probably half a dozen people uh, in just in my life who used to I that I used to go to church with or that they used to be seemingly rooted in, in a solid Christian church and now they're either attending a, you know, a church of Latter-day Saints or a Jehovah's Witness church. I, I would say the leading cause to, to, to veer off and, and to do that is probably because of a sig- significant other. And mm-hmm. I know that sounds naive and it sounds kind of an easy way out, but all of, all of the people that I know that are now attending a Christian cult uh, church is because of a significant other mm-hmm. is because of you know they've fall in love with somebody, and mm-hmm. it's just easier just to yeah wave the white flag and and kind of you know board the ship
0: yeah, I think that's a f- very good point and kind of adds to what I was saying there that the culture that we live in is not really losing sleep over truth <laughs> right <laughs> you, know, you know it's not rest you know that that verse in jude three what says. Um, contend for the faith agonize or which is where we get the word agonize, agony from agonize over the truth very few people today in my observation agonize over the truth yeah Okay, is this true do I do I truly understand the gospel do I know that I'm truly saved do I know that um, I'm living a life pleasing to God they're out there praise God called the church but the vast majority of people don't approach things that way it's more the convenience of a relationship or an acceptance, as I was saying before. So I'm not saying, oh, these people, that are just so innocent and they're just so, you know, they're so kind of pure. That's not what's going on. We're all sinners. But what happens is that acceptance from the spouse or that person they're with relationally um, basically sways them because they don't have their own convictions. They haven't done their own homework. And then they kind of get absorbed into it. Um, so, that's what I th- believe what's yeah. really going on at the end of the day.
1: Yeah.
0: And again, I'm, I've am got like this background voice in my head here saying, well Jonathan, you can't prove this. I know I can't prove this. Okay? So if somebody wants right, wants to write me an email and say, Jonathan, I disagree. Okay. I'll live with it. Okay? <laughs> I'll live <laughs> with it. But, I've really asked myself the question when I first started studying the quotes and uh was thinking even at one point of getting involved in debates with Christian cults. Took a step back and thought, What's really going on here? And yes, doctrinal error is going on, but that's symptomatic of a heart. That's symptomatic of a culture. That's symptomatic of a society or a group or a family. Um so I started to think in those categories. And there's there's been a couple of occasions where I've been in dialogue with Christian cult uh leaders and it's been like um, a bit awkward, you know? Because <laughs> it, cause it's got to the point where I'm just like, machine gun them down with scripture, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and they're kind of tra- firing back with whatever they have left in their ammunition. And I was thinking, you know, if it was just an atheist who came to the door, I'd probably say, you know, how you doing? How's your kids? Right. You know, but yet yeah, when it comes to a Christian cult, it, 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 it comes real monolithic. It's just this one relationship you can have with them, it's just this one form of dialogue. And yes, I believe there's wisdom. You have, sometimes have to have barriers because some people uh, are, are doing things for the wrong reasons. But I would say no more dangerous than a, a, a double glazeman salesman that comes to your house, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, or a. Uh, 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 a Telemarketer who calls you up, you know we want to have like mixed motives, you know I think I think we can have some culprits right there, um, but I think um in the vast majority of cases, the real people yeah, the real people, and we need to approach it that way, and yes, I've given you some scriptures there that you want to be proven that Jesus is indeed divine, and you want to go to John one one, you want to go to Colossians one how he created the whole world. You want to go to uh, John 8.58 that says, Before Abraham was I am. That Greek word ego or me, taken from the Hebrew Yahweh. um, There's a quotation of Exodus 3.14 when Moses encounters the burning bush. They're encountering Jehovah, as the text says, or Yahweh, to be correct. In that that epiphany, in that uh, apparition. Uh, it's Christ claiming to be that very same God. And that's why they picked up stones to stone him. If it's just saying, well, you know, before Abraham was, I was about, you know, you know, or I'm in, the, I'm in the picture somewhere, you know, I'm a demigod, or I was the first thing created by God, but I'm not God. I don't think much sense would be made of what happens after that. And that is they pick up stones to stone him. Uh, But what he was doing there was making absolute claims of divinity. And we see this again in John 8, in John 8, 24, when he says, if you do not believe that I am, not just the Savior, sometimes this is missed. He's not just saying, oh, I'm the Savior, but if you do not believe that I am Yahweh, I am the true God, ego in me, you will die in your sins. That's why they picked up stones to stone him, because they didn't want to accept that he, that peasant from Nazareth was indeed their creator and when you can get yourself to believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was not your creator and that at best he's just an exalted angel then you have to do something for yourself in your own salvation but if he's God he's taking care of it all because with God all things are possible that's what Mark 10 says with with man it's impossible to be saved. But with God, all things are possible. And there's no good. There's no one who is good but God. So if Jesus becomes less than God, you've got to do your part. And that's how these quotes fall into legalism and into works. So, yes, you need to have your theology. But there's plenty of websites you can go to that can provide that. You can go to James White's website, Um You can spend the rest of your born days on his website or on monogism.com or all those. At calm.org is another one that you can go to and you can really study these issues in depth. But I don't think there's a lot of shows doing what we just did and kind of taking a a slight sidestep by by saying, let's consider these other factors that are going on when a person embraces... Christian cult so that's what you need to do and then you need to pray that God will give you opportunities you need to pray that God would be sovereign over their hearts because I've seen people converted to the true faith from a Christian cult with the most sloppy of arguments you know? yeah. <laughs> but God was pleased to shoot straight with a crooked stick um, so it's not as if you need to have this perfection of knowledge you just need to go with the gospel truth ability to defend the deity of christ and then to have an understanding and a patience to reach out and to listen and to respond and i think if we can do that then we can be an effective witness to these groups because these groups are going to always be here say if we were to see the dissolvement of the jehovah's witness society tomorrow something else would pop up yeah It's the nature of this world, it's the nature of Satan to repackage lies. So, you know, as Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always, the cold you will have with you always, (laughs) you know, until God consummates human history and we're living in a new world. But until that time, there's always going to be false prophets. Jesus warned about this in the Sermon on the Mount. False prophets will come and deceive, if it was possible, even the elect. Now, they won't. Obviously, the necessary inference of that versus they don't. But if it wasn't for God's divine election, they could. So the main purpose of Satan is to deceive. I remember once somebody asking me, Jonathan, what really scares you when it comes to the activities of Satan? And I think they were expecting more of like a poltergeist answer. Demonic possession, exorcisms, scary homes that uh, the Discovery Channel do documentaries on and things like that. I said, I tell you what scares me. People believe in lies with a Bible in their hand in broad daylight. Now, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> no spooky house, no poltergeist, <laughs> no shaking off the table or anything like that. But people in broad daylight with the scriptures with the bible in their hand believing something contrary to that bible that is the true activity of Satan, because the bible says in second corinthians that Satan is even able to make himself an angel of light so how do we avoid this we go to the scriptures and we allow the scriptures to speak for themselves and if we feel the need to reconcile things or we feel the need to have rational exhaustive penetration on things we need to stop where the bible stops that's what john calvin said and that's why even some well-meaning reform people i'm thinking of the hyper you know we've had dd warren on the show this is another as i understand another cult that have denied the eschaton they have denied the second coming of jesus christ but it began with this need for rational exhaustive penetration on all verses pertain to eschatology we're going to all get it all packed away in AD 70. And we have nothing left over. (laughs) It's all neat and tidy. And we've got it all figured out. My mind has figured it all out. And from that, we see what has been birthed. So we need to go to the scriptures with a humble heart. And allow the scriptures to speak for themselves. And when we do that, when we communicate to others, we can have that confidence that God will use that truth for his glory, so I think uh, we can leave it like that. Um, very much enjoyed it, Brian. Thank you for being here. <laughs> but I think, well, that, I, didn't, I yes. didn't mean
1: to talk the whole time, Jonathan. I, I, <laughs> yeah. next time I'll, I'll let you <laughs> thank you. I, really, I really
0: appreciate it. <laughs> uh, it's just the way it went down, folks. Okay, <laughs> the way it went down, folks. But uh, do you have anything to say in closing? I want I want to.
1: Yeah, it's if you're listening to the show and you're wondering why Jonathan does all the talking, it's um it's better that Jonathan does all the talking because <laughs> um, we would get well, we'd get probably get a lot more emails. <laughs> no, but the
0: reason we have this set up, one because I really like Brian and it's his studio. Let's 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 talk fucks here. <laughs> but but secondly, um you do represent um the guy out in the street and you know, the questions you do raise and bring. Uh, is very much in the flavor of this mini series, sure, of outreach. Yeah, that we're talking to real people, and we want to see real people come to Christ. So, I uh, thank you, Brian. Thank you for the well, studio, um, and thank you for
1: it's. It's a, you know, it's it's unique that I'm both a co-host and audience at the same time. So,
0: yeah, and somehow it works. <laughs> <laughs> Send us an email. Do you think it works? <laughs> I believe it does, but well, that's a bit self-serving, perhaps. But uh, you no, know, thank you once again, Brian, and thank you all for listening. And uh, not sure what I'm gonna do next week. Got a couple of things in mind, uh, but in the meantime, we go continue to bless the study of His Word. God bless mm-hmm. you all. Bye for now.